From KCUR in Kansas City, I'm Brian Ellison. And I'm Mike and Scott from WHYY in Philadelphia. Welcome to America Amplified, Life, Community, and COVID-19. It's a conversation with public radio stations across the country to talk about how the coronavirus is changing our nation. And in this hour, the final hour of this six-week program, we're talking about the idea at the heart, really, of so many other topics we've talked about, community. The public health crisis has devastated so many of the forums where we came together as Americans, places of worship that couldn't hold services on site, sports teams we had no way to play with or cheer for, neighborhood centers whose youth programs went silent. And we want to hear from you. What have you lost in terms of community during this pandemic? How have you managed? Have you found new ways to seek out friendship, camaraderie, and identity? Tweet us at Amplified 2020. Joining us first in this hour is the Reverend Dr. Alan Waller. He's pastor of Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church in Philadelphia. Reverend Waller, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Reverend Waller is apparently not there. Uh, we're going to turn instead to uh, another guest, uh, Caitlin Abdelrahman, who is an organizer with On Call Halal. That's a volunteer organization in Kansas City that's been delivering meals to Muslim hospital staff to break the daily fasts required during the holy month of Ramadan. Caitlin, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. How are you? We're doing great. And Caitlin, tell us about this program. How did it come to be? Sure. So we had several people um, ready to kind of do a different style of uh, Ramadan activity in a pop-up near 31st and Truce. And that was going to be highlighting halal restaurants. And so obviously you couldn't have all those people coming to that location. So we kind of pivoted towards doing something that would still help those halal restaurants and then also help our front care healthline workers um, during Ramadan and during the pandemic. And what has this meant to you as a group? Tell us a little bit about sort of the, the shared feeling in, in doing this and coming together to do this. Yeah, I think um, Ramadan is typically a very communal, uh, community-focused time of year for Muslims, and we spend most of our time in community. So this was as close as we could get to like working together towards something that was beneficial and that gave us that sense of community um, because we were doing it together and engaging as many people as we could. Caitlin, uh, you know, one of the things we're talking about in this hour is the way faith communities have been affected by uh, by the restrictions placed on them as part of this public health crisis. And I know here in Kansas City with you, the, the Muslim community is pretty small in the first place. I, I'm curious how Muslims have managed to stay connected with each other, even as public gatherings have been discouraged or, or ruled as unsafe. Yeah, um, it's it is pretty small. You're right. Um, but we have great leadership uh, in our community here. And I'm really proud of how they've handled it. They um, not only were they quick to close everything down and follow like the state guidelines and regulations, they were quick to implement alternatives. So we had uh, drive up iftars, kind of like imagine a drive in movie theater where you could come and have iftar in a socially distanced space parking lot in your car. Um, And they did the same thing for our Eid prayer where you drove up and you had your assigned parking spot and we were able to have that community experience together, but safe. Um, had, had to wave at each other through the windows. Exactly. And safe. Caitlin, Caitlin, what do you what do you miss most about life and your faith community from before the pandemic? What's the thing you can't wait to get back to? Honestly, I I can't wait to go back to the mosque. Um, yeah, that 
in and of itself is just hearing the then, um, you know, not it's obviously it's not from a speaker, but like you can hear the speaker inside the, the building that has such a special feeling that I haven't been able to experience for a while. And I miss that. Well, Caitlin, I hope you'll stay with us for just a moment. I think we have Reverend Dr. Alan Waller with us now. Dr. Waller, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you? Very good. I'm so glad uh, you could join us today. So uh, as we mentioned, you're the pastor of a, of a Baptist church, a big Baptist church in Philadelphia. But I, perhaps That's more right. importantly in the moment, you've recovered from COVID-19 yourself. How are you doing? I am doing great. Yes, I did test positive, but I was asymptomatic. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, while I was waiting on feeling bad, I never really had any <laughs> symptoms. And uh, so I, I really believe the Lord allowed me to get it so that I could speak to some of the problems with the systemic approach to dealing with this, the lack of testing, the lack of understanding, the lack of la- national leadership and how that's impacting our community. I understand you were hosting a, a testing event uh, in connection with your church, and that's that's how you ended up discovering that you you had the the virus. That's right. That's right. Uh, It was a testing event by the Black Doctors Consortium, and it was only for persons who had symptoms and or had knowingly been exposed to someone who was positive. I simply took the test to model the behavior. You know, people were concerned about the swab going up the nose, and I just did it uh, not because I was symptomatic or because I'd been exposed, I, I thought. I just did it to show that it doesn't hurt. Yeah. (laughs) And I let them give me the test. And two days later, when they came back and said I was positive, I honestly said, I think you got the wrong person because I had been practicing what I thought was social distancing. And uh, I was the I was so surprised when I found out I was positive, which I guess makes the point that uh, a lot of congregations have been responding to in uh, abiding by public health restrictions and closing their buildings. You've gone now a few months without having services in your building. I'm curious how your congregation reacted to not being able to to come together. Well, uh, obviously, we would rather be together, but they reacted uh, they in a very mature way. Uh, we don't view this as the state closing us down. We closed ourselves down because it seemed right that the best way to honor God is to honor uh, humanity, which means it's not safe for people to get together right now. So there was not a lot of pushback, and we've just uh, switched to a Zoom platform, Facebook Live platform, And uh, we've actually really enjoyed um, this season. Now, we can't do this forever, but right now we are experiencing a lot of joy and creative community. And Reverend, this has been a time of high stress since March. And right now there is another gigantic stressor going on with with the the protests we're seeing and the the police violence we've been seeing in the last i mean i'm just wondering how is your congregation reacting to that and how are you staying in touch with them because i'm 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 thinking usually you would do that in church with your presence and with your words so how do you do that now well you, you're going in and out, uh, so hopefully you can hear me. We, we can. can hear you. Um, 
Okay, good. Uh, well, you know, we, we are addressing this issue head on. We're using all of our social media platform to number one, uh, inform and encourage our community. I mean, right now it is devastating to think that we still have to have this conversation. I am 56 years old. I'm a black man and I'm sick of having to have this conversation about how our lives matter. Uh, so we are reminding our community that we're still in the fight, but we're also working proactively um, to not simply get in the streets um, and protest, but to uh, continue in the fight. So for, for instance, here in Philadelphia, um, last year you may have heard about all of the police officers that were fired because of their Facebook posts. Yeah. Well, um, many of them are in arbitration right now seeking to get their jobs back. And these two things are connected. So some police officers do the behavior that they do because they do not fear uh, any real repercussions because their unions help them get their jobs back. So what we in Philadelphia recognize that one of the ways that we can uh, stay in the fight, remind, uh, cele uh, not celebrate, but remember uh, George Floyd, but also send real systemic change is to keep our eyes on this arbitration process and remind those who are in power uh, that this is the real issue and the real fight. Uh, we, we want police officers to realize that you can't get away with this kind of behavior and a real structural change has to happen even in how they understand their job security. So we are trying to be proactive in this fight. Dr. Waller, I know one of the, the ways that you, uh, the avenues you have to be proactive, as you mentioned a moment ago, it would normally be uh, be Sunday morning, and yet you say there's yes. these creative ways that you have come together as a faith community. Uh, we heard from our, our other guest, Caitlin, about uh, having drive-up iftars with her, um, mm -hmm. with her faith community. Uh, what are some of the creative ways that your congregation has responded? Are there some things that have surprised you, things you, you never would have expected uh, a few months ago? Well, well, uh, actually, we, we had a really fun day today with all of our graduates, uh, all of the 2020 graduates. We always have a major graduation celebration. But today, what we did is we found out who the graduates were, invited everyone to dress up their car, and they drove up. I met them at the church, and we used appropriate social distancing. They stayed in their cars, and every car drove past. We took pictures together. And we made a video that we will show on the second Saturday in June when our regular graduation would have taken place. But there'll be a nice program on Facebook Live of all 166 of the graduates. So we're still going to have what we would have had. It's just going to look differently. Uh, it was so exciting today to see everyone drive up in their cars. These cars were decorated and the graduate was in the car with their parents and uh, the people they could be with. And uh, they drove up to the church. We set up uh, speakers and music. They drove past. We did videos, took pictures, and we will make that into a nice movie and show that to the world on June the 13th. That's one of the creative ways that we've been responding. And lots of things like that have helped us um, stay together uh, and uh, wait until we can get back together.
That's Reverend Dr. Alan Waller. He's pastor of Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church in Philadelphia. We're talking about community and where people are finding it when the usual places haven't been available. Join the discussion. Tweet us at Amplified 2020. We'll be right back. This is America Amplified. Welcome back from WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm Mike and Scott. And I'm Brian Ellison at KCUR in Kansas City. This is America Amplified, Life, Community, and COVID-19. We're talking this hour about how we're finding community when so many of the places we used to come together have been closed. From sporting events to art exhibitions, some may feel very different even when they do return. So how are you seeking and finding community during this pandemic? Tweet us at Amplified 2020. Communities that were already marginalized have faced additional challenges in these months, some more than others, especially this week. Teenagers have always sought their own ways of connecting with each other. And a few from Alaska to Minneapolis have shared with us how they've been finding community at home and by going out to demonstrate. Hi, my name is Jordan Bennett, and I'm 14 years old, and I live in Juneau, Alaska. I'm Klinkit Hawaiian Assumption. My family can be very complicated. I have nine siblings, but most of them are my stepbrothers and sisters. My clan is Kiksadi, known as Raven Frog. Love is strong. It grows every day, even when we can't see it. So my community is strong with love and Alaska Natives. Hello, my name is Jalen Martin. My Klinkit name is Kahtahoon. I am 14 years old. I live in Juneau, Alaska, and this is my quarantine diary. <laughs> um, it sucks <laughs> being inside all the time. Myself, I am very extroverted. It's it's a good thing that we're separated right now. We're going to get through it, you know? There's a whole world waiting for us out there. I'm Ambrose Hayward, a 16-year-old from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was a part of the second and third day of the George Floyd protests. There's just a sense of anger in the air. Everyone's angry that this happens and everyone is so desperate for change. On the first hand, I'm really proud and happy for this community and the way we've unified and come together to fight for George Floyd's cause and to fight for his justice. I think that it really shows who we are as a community and shows that we're not gonna let stuff like this slide. My name's Nagash Kuth, I'm 15 years old. I'm from the inner city, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Life has been crazy this week and I've been witnessing some things that I never thought I'd witness before. Our city is tearing things up. We've lost other black people in our community at the hands of police brutality, Jamar Clark, Philando Castell, and I've done what I had to do as an adolescent to take to the streets. I'm now admin to a group that started Tuesday morning. We are a group of 26 kids from all over Minnesota who know that we need to make a change if we want to grow up in a city where stuff like this isn't allowable. And I think it's pretty, you know, remarkable that kids like us, you know, we see the future. We're looking at the bigger picture here. 
That audio diary came to us from our coordinating producer, Andrea Tudhope. And we're joined now by someone whose full-time job has been seeking to strengthen community among and promote healing from trauma among black, indigenous, and people of color in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Dr. Joy Lewis is founder of the Healing Justice Foundation. Dr. Lewis, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's obviously been an extraordinary few days in Minneapolis following the death of George Floyd at the hands of police officer Derek Chauvin, who was charged yesterday with third-degree murder. It sounds like your work was really made for this moment uh, of real pain in the community. I'm curious, from where you sit, what have you been seeing? What have you been doing? Well, thank you um, for the question. So, um, as as the world um, is seeing that um, we are in the middle of a very intense time here um, in Minneapolis, and um, it's important um, to make sure that after um, the murder of Mr. George Floyd, that that is, has been compounded. Right, with we are still in the middle of a world pandemic where we are supposed to um, have the opportunity to actually um, have some social distancing. And, right. and, and though the community has been able, um, has tried to follow those things, folks have also taken to the streets. Um, but more importantly, what I have noticed is that our community has gotten so very creative, even just today, just today, um, I uh, started the morning with um, a group of um, Black therapists and trauma specialists I'm on a Zoom call, organizing to see how we can support both uh, virtually and in the streets with our community. We have had um, folks organize in uh, the Powderhorn community block by block by standing six feet apart by, uh, by block. So um, they can um, make sure that their neighborhood will be able to thrive and um, continue on. We in the city of St. Paul, you have to hear some of these young people already that um, these young people are stepping up and um, really showing leadership. There are food shelves that are being organized. And so, yes, there are lots, there are lots of folks who have come from outside of the city who um, are really basing things on uh, from white supremacy and white anarchists who are um, agitating. And so as a community, what we're doing, people are showing up and, as artists, as community healers, um, and blaking up their spirits. So it's been actually pretty incredible. It, it sounds like it. And I, I guess I have to think even before this week's events, uh, COVID-19 was causing uh, trauma of its own. Um, besides the, the health threat and uh, the pandemic, you had the shutdowns and the closings. How has that affected your community? Well, it, what it has done, it has amplified um, many of the, the challenges that were already present um, in, um, in our community because of the historic um, racism and oppression in this country. And so it then uh, folks who we were already affected. So then people were losing jobs, right? Um, not being able to uh, be as mobile, having um, to take care of their children um, who then couldn't go to school, um, you know, and that, as you all know, that it's only been recently that folks have been able to get tested. Many of the folks um, from our community were already the frontline workers, so they were essential workers, and we're getting exposed more. So there's been a lot of devastation. We have been creative um, and still trying to make sure that we stay stay connected, as I said, um, in terms of um, planning uh 
uh, connections. Our Minnesota um, arts community has been um, getting together on Zoom and, and doing things and also being out in the community. We had a, um, my organization, Joy Unlimited, sponsored a five-day radical self-care challenge. We had over 300-something people come and show up every day for meditation, um, for movement. So it's wow. been a it's been a dynamic time, but yeah. and we also have been very very uh, creative as we always have been. It's Dr. Joy Lewis joining us from Minneapolis, where she uh, works with as a founder of the Healing Justice Foundation. We'd love for you to join our conversation, whatever community means to you or looks like where you are. Give us a call at 800-444-8652 and tell us what your experience has been like through this pandemic. 800-444-8652 or tweet at Amplified 2020. And Dr. Lewis, if you look forward to after this pandemic, how do you want to keep the momentum going that you have found right now during this time of crisis in in different ways, times of crisis? And how do you want to keep this connection going? And what are the biggest things you want to focus on? Yeah, so we want to we want to continue the kinds of ways that community has been able to um, to come together to support each other. You know, there there are um, folks right now, as we speak, are organizing no less than um, six to eight uh, food drops off, drop-offs because as you guys might know that um, many of the grocery stores and some of those things have, have been burned in places that were already food deserts. And so we want to just continue um, to make sure that everyone in our community is supported, but then also... We want to continue to make sure that even in the midst of the heartbreak, that we're able to access joy, right? Yeah. That we're able to be able to come together um, through through art, through movement, through um, speaking, and, and making sure that there's um, economic redevelopment of our communities of the way in which that they have been impacted. So we we are we we remain hopeful, and mm-hmm. we want if folks are not. Um, if folks are not down for that cause, then we don't want them to be here so we can move through and continue to connect with each other and move and, and afford liberation and transformation, if you will. Let's talk with Gary in Philadelphia. Gary, thanks for waiting. Uh, this is America Amplified. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy, And uh, I'm glad that you guys are talking about such a subject with all these times with the corona and then the violence and then the racial discriminations that are going on. But uh, what I'm finding is that people that live on blocks now are tending to gather in their backyards and now people are planting and they're buying flowers and they're Hmm. fixing up their backyards as if that's going to be the new norm. (laughs) But what happens is oftentimes in those same blocks, when you see the neighbor, the neighbor just looks at you and just keeps on walking. Now they're talking to each other through fences and so forth and so on, becoming more... um, associated with one another. So those are some of the things that I'm noticing, particularly in where I am. So in some ways, uh, you found community in places you actually didn't have it before. Right. That's really yeah. interesting, Gary. Very interesting. That. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that, too, is that neighbors, masks on and all, are talking more to each other, which has been reassuring and nice to see. I want to bring in another guest who has seen a big shift in how she brings people together. That's Maria Goodbreak. She is in Kansas City, and she runs Global FC. Hi, Maria. Hi, there. Can you hear Maria. Me? Sorry. Hi, Maria. How are you? 
I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Sorry, our connection was a little shaky, but I hope it will hold up for us. So tell me about Global FC. It connects refugee youth in your area for opportunities to play soccer. So what's happening with that right now? Yes, uh, the population we serve is the immigrant refugee youth. Um, Global FC was you know, in response to the hysteria that hit our nation and globally around the resettlement issue. And instead of, and we saw that there was a lack of actual action happening in the community. And as I came to Kansas City, I saw that as an opportunity. So we saw that soccer was an, uh, a vehicle that we can engage this vulnerable Do you know what, um, Maria, I'm so sorry. Let's try to fix our connection with you because it's really hard to hear you and I don't want to miss what, what you're saying. So um, let's try let's try that again. Brian, do we have a caller we, we could take? We do. In fact, let's, uh, let's talk to, to Stephanie in Atlanta. Uh, Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, I have a more of a microcosm or a little intimate story on how uh, one person, myself, is surviving um, this uh, change of events. And I'm a senior. I'm I'm an actor, so all that went away immediately. Huh. And um, I do a lot of caregiving jobs on the side. And I have a little six-year-old boy. I was already uh, picking him up a couple days a week, and I ended up homeschooling him the last couple of months. And now it's us. That's my community. His parents and him and me, they have two little dogs. And I still have a couple of dog walking clients and everybody's on board. I take the little boy with me. We don't go inside anyone's houses. Um, These dogs mean so much to him. They're puppies. They're young. He's only six. Um, And um, he throws his arms around them. And I know that because he hasn't seen any friends for a couple of months, that these dogs are the world to him. Um, Mom is on board. Uh, She's letting me adopt. Uh, I had already planned to adopt a dog this summer, and I'll be bringing that dog to work with me. So he'll get another new friend soon. Mm. And for us, that's how we're going to survive this summer. Stephanie, do you worry about um, uh, children like like this this little boy? reconnecting with community with um with real people once uh once this pandemic is over and we can interact in a more not really he's exceptionally smart and um i do notice though he detaches like we've done all the zoom you know everything that his teacher was um bravely putting forward you know um under the circumstances and he became bored with it uh by the end and really uh that's not his thing he wants to be with somebody Mm warm-blooded and right in that he can wrestle with and giggle and be silly with. And, you know, I'm old enough that that's not me, you know. So that's why I think the dogs are really going to be a great remedy. And I recommend to anybody who's listening that if you're sad and lonely, just foster or adopt, you know, because... Appreciate that, Stephanie. Thank you so much. And I think we have Maria Goodbreak on now. And... and Maria, we don't have a lot of time left before our break now, but you run an organization for refugee youth around soccer. So how do you do that during a pandemic or what have you been doing? Yeah, I think that one of the advantages that we had was um, we already functioned as a community and community was not something we were trying to seek out because of the crisis. It was already who we were and who we already are. Uh, we simply had to become a little bit more creative and innovative, uh, not simply reactive to the crisis. And I think the, one of the powerful ingredients that we had in our organi- or in our community at Global FC is resilience. Um, we already work with a vulnerable community that are 
absolutely resilient. The refugee population, that word resilience is often used with them. So, so it wasn't as hard for us to be able to do that, but we just had to be more creative. And some of the ways that we were was we were able to take our education programming to a virtual platform. And that was critical, um, especially for new American youth who are already so behind in their education. Uh, we powerfully locked arms with the districts, uh, the school board, the teachers and the staff to be a bridge between the school and the home through vir virtual learning, um, as well as we adopted um, immediately a food program. Most of the kids we work with rely on uh, two meals a day from the schools. And then we ended up you know, so far and we continue to serve thousands of meals and one of the things that themes that I'm seeing in some of the, the guests is we didn't just create a food program. Um, we actually realized that we had to take the food to the families. So we did uh, drop offs at the homes and we continue to do that. Um, the other aspect. Yes. Go ahead, Mariah. The other aspect you were saying. The other aspect I think is really critical for the population we serve is the emotional support. Most of the population we serve come from trauma backgrounds. Um, and so living in this isolation can trigger that. So for us to be a guiding voice and emotional support became very key, as well as the family support. Maria, I know you came to America as a refugee yourself from Afghanistan. How did, how did you come to realize that youth need this kind of extra support and community? Absolutely. My family fled during the Soviet invasion. And um, just like many of the kids that I work with today, uh, we had to go from country to country until we were given a new place of hope and opportunity. And for my family, that was Canada. Uh, several years ago, I was able to uh, come here to Kansas City. And so, like I said before, although Global FC was a response to the hysteria nationally and globally about re refugee resettlement, there was a deeper personal um, motivation. I knew that there is these unconscious battles that these kids face. And that is being caught between two worlds, between the expectations of their homes and the values and then the expectations and values that they're encountering here in the West. About 20 so seconds how, left, Maria. Uh, is there something about yeah. soccer, something about sports that is so important right now? Absolutely. Um, soccer is, uh, for the kids that we serve, is not just a sport. Um, it's a place of healing. It's a place of freedom. Um, we've been able to see that in Syria and other places where kids are in refugee camps and they're playing soccer as a place to start promoting healing. So when I came here, I didn't want to find another program i want to just use a relevant tool yeah soccer becomes a very powerful vehicle that's maria goodbreak she runs global fc here in kansas city when we come back we'll turn to the arts choirs and artists and drag shows they've all had to shut down for a time what have we lost and what might we gain going forward after this pandemic join the discussion Welcome back. I'm Brian Ellison from KCUR in Kansas City. And I'm Mike and Scott from WHYY in Philadelphia. And this is America Amplified, Life, Community, and COVID-19. We're talking this hour about finding community and how that is different now. There's still time for you to join the conversation. Tweet us at Amplified 2020. Boy Boy is an artist who grew up here in Kansas City, graduated four years ago from the Kansas City Art Institute. Since then, they've had exhibitions and put on events from drag shows to theme parties all over town. Boy Boy, welcome to America Amplified. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So glad you could be here. And so we know that the symphony and the <coughs> opera shut down, the theaters, the, the mm -hmm. Nelson Atkins, the big fine arts museum here in Kansas City. Tell us about yeah. how the pandemic affects your part of the arts world. 
Um, I, I, I work both as an artist making like fine art and doing event design as well as a drag performer. So the, the loss of space and like gathering spaces is, is very significant. And I think that especially being a drag performer, queer bars and spaces and restaurants provide that kind of safe space and gathering point for us. And when we're not yeah. able to experience that and gather together and have, and I think through drag, you have that like healthy form of escapism and everything that's going on right now. I think that that's super important to kind of. Well, and I want to ask you about that in particular. Yeah. I mean, has, has COVID-19 affected the, the queer community in ways that uh, may be different from, from other communities? I mean, I would say yes and no. I think that like the idea of like alienating yourself in your own home and not having that kind of gathering point and, and ways in which we like share experiences. And for for an example, um, drag race um, is a huge thing for the queer community and, mm -hmm. and gathering at bars or places to watch it together and kind of celebrate. And especially being in Kansas City, where we have Widow Von Du, who's from Kansas City and Crystal Method from um, Springfield, Missouri. That, that becomes a gathering point in, in like the gay Super Bowl, for lack of better words. Um. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I, I guess I, my, the, I asked the question because I wonder whether a sort of a history of oppression or a history of one's identity being restrained by others, um, which I know is something your art actually reacts against, mm -hmm. uh, having now to shelter in place, to stay at home, uh, to go without camaraderie, I, I guess I wonder if that's a bigger deal for, for those of us who are LGBTQIA. I would say at a, in a sad way, we're kind of like used to it. Um, and it's so, as we know, pride has been canceled and this will be the f uh, 51st year since the Stonewall riots. Mm -hmm. um, and we've kind of taken a step back of being like, no, the greater health of our, of our community um, and the world is, is more important than that. And we can find other ways via um, live streams or, or digital ways of connecting with each other and performing and kind of bringing that kind of joy and healthy form of escapism. Yeah, let's get a caller in who wants to weigh in on this as well. We have Joe from Kansas City. Hey, Joe, you're you're on America Amplified. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, another Kansas City in here. I'm with an organization called City in Motion Dance Theater Incorporated, a nonprofit that we bring uh, dance to Kansas City in the form of outreach. Already the, the epidemic has shut us down in our spring session, and, mm -hmm. and that is the largest chunk of our revenue model right now. We've offset it a little bit with a Zoom virtual platform to try and get uh, back on track with that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that's a question for a lot of artists. Boy, boy, I'm wondering if you want to weigh in on this as well. It's always hard to make a living as an artist, right? But then when you cannot perform, uh, how do you do that? Boy, boy, do you want I, to speak to that? I think that that's something that's really important is I'm lucky enough to, I work part-time at a restaurant, so I qualify for unemployment, but majority of performers and artists that work full-time don't uh, qualify for unemployment. So they're really, really struggling. So I think that now is a, a really, really great time um, to find those like live streams of drag performers, or if you follow an artist on Instagram that makes prints or, or anything like that, buy their art because that is going to help them survive through this pandemic, especially if they're not qualified for unemployment. We don't know how long this is going to go on and we don't know when the, the spaces are going to open up again and art spaces and galleries and um, performance spaces and, and dance studios and all of those things. So I think artists are, are struggling right now. 
Yeah, and how do you see, what do you see in our future in terms of art spaces? We just heard from Dance in Motion. So do you think we'll just see a big thinning of our art scene? I... I, I see it kind of unfolding in two ways. In, in the greater picture of Kansas City through the last five years is that we've lost a majority of our DIY art spaces um, due to um, gentrification and a whole bunch of other issues. Um, so we've already lost a lot of those spaces and coming back into it is, I think that there's gonna be a fear or lack of funding for the arts in that regard, or it's gonna flip and through alienating ourselves and self-quarantine, the drive to rebuild community is going to be even stronger and we're going to come together and really put more emphasis on ways that we can gather and have these conversations and and make art and performance and and all those other things and that's I what like, i, I hope like that look. vision <laughs> yeah, i like I do option too. number I, I two hope, yeah so do i there's still time for you to join the conversation about how you're finding community let's talk to piper in atlanta and piper you've been hanging with us for a while thanks so much absolutely hey <laughs> Yes. So what's, um, so how are you yeah, finding so, community? Uh, I'm so I'm a comedian, and uh, it's been really hard to kind of adjust to the, you know, new climate. I think, um, you know, I do improv and stand up, and both of those are so community based um, in practicing and performing. You know, so it's been really challenging uh, without performances or open mics or practices like any of those things they've all been kind of shut down so it's been an interesting sort of pivot to how to how to make that work online well and i, I yeah. guess i wonder how do you make it work online i, I know actually we've talked with mike and <laughs> mike and scott uh worked with a local improv troupe in philadelphia recently and and was part of a show but but doing it on zoom is a is a little different than uh, having an audience actually making suggestions and for that matter laughing right absolutely it's... i know so it's it's very interesting because usually it's such a give and take between the performers and the audience. And it's really funny because, you know, even if people are commenting, ha ha, it's not really the same. (laughs) (laughs) That same feeling, even if they do comment. So it's sort of a... (laughs) And Piper, I'm interested in your take and Boy Boy as well. A lot of performance is based on timing. That was certainly true Mm -hmm. in this improv performance I was part of. And Piper, you as a comedian... It's all about timing and sort of reacting to what's happening. And it's just not quite possible, is it? Absolutely. I would say it's... Oh, yeah, we've really uh, run into that. Sorry about that. Um, We just try to make each other laugh. I think that's sort Mm of um, how it's been working for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think overall that's sort of been an okay tactic. But it it is hard because you just don't know what the audience is responding to. Go ahead, boy, boy. It's, it's very surreal, like playing dress up at my house and then performing in front of my phone for like five minutes of a number and then just being like, oh, that's done. But not having that kind of like give and take and the smile and like encouragement of the audience. So it feels very, very surreal. And I think that what I miss, and I would assume it's the same thing in the comedy world where it's like part of what like going and performing is like being backstage, talking with your friends, talking with other performers, performing for other performers. Um it really kind of gets you going and gets that encouragement of like, I'm doing this for my friends. Like I'm doing this like as a part of a collective group that's trying to make people have fun and enjoy themselves. So, so doing it alone in your bedroom at two in the morning, isn't necessarily the same feeling. It's still fun, but it's, it's definitely a, there's a learning curve to that. 
I guess I'm curious, boy, boy, uh, you've you've had some time here with a pretty unusual set of experiences for a few months. I wonder mm-hmm. if the pandemic has given you ideas for future projects. Um, yes and no. I early on in the the quarantine, as I tried to convince myself that it was an artist residency of like I'm trapped in this house for who knows how long. Let me like work through all of the excess materials that I have. Like let's rebuild this, use it for research. Um, I've styled like 17 wigs, like (laughs) um, just like running out of crafts to do. Um, But then part of it's like, oh, I can make new outfits or make a new mix and then doing kind of digital drag shows. And one of them that I'm going to be doing this upcoming week is uh, hosted by um, uh, Daisy Bouquet, who does a show called Driving Miss Daisy, where she gets in drag and drives around to local where drag queens and kings live and has them perform outside their house. And it's just them on Facebook Live while they're kind of uh, showing up and doing drag shows. We have another caller who wants to join this conversation, Brad from Philadelphia. Hey, Brad, you're on America Amplified. Hi, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Um, I'm doing great. I'm trying to uh, start activating more people with organizations uh, through something called Cover 19%. Um, it's a direct response to this, of course, COVID uh, issue. And we would like to, to find more charitable organizations, artists, restaurants, small businesses. And I would love for them to start talking to each other about ways that uh, we can support the charitable organization and how the charitable organization can support people to donate to them. So 19% of sales will go towards the actual organizations. And if we can figure out ways to make more Venn diagrams of help and support through each other, through artists, through small business, I think we can get through this together because that's the whole point. So it sounds like you're trying to create more more connections between organizations that may be aware of each other but may not be usually working together. Right. I, I've always I, Online I see that people are trying to help, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's a one-way discussion. And if we can get the organizations to respond and talk and help the other, uh, or the, the artist selling one print, the restaurant trying to sell um, uh, food out of their back door now. Um, we're trying to figure out, I, mean, or I keep hearing the phrase, we're in this together. And I want to, to, to kind of highlight how we can do that together. So it's a, it's a Venn diagram concept. Like, how can my community support you? And how can your community support me? And then with that, we can create new communities that can grow and prosper in this pivot to digital um, financing to try to uh, save a theater or save a DJ to do anything we could. So So it's, it's tough, but I'm trying. Yeah. So Brad, it sounds like, it sounds like we might see more community on this other side of having a lack of community. It sounds like organizations are really coming together. All right. Well, so let's uh, let's go back to a guest who we were with at the very beginning of the show, Reverend Doctor Alan Waller, who uh, is past past pastor of Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church in Philadelphia. Doctor Waller, are you still with us? Looks like maybe he isn't anymore. How about Caitlin? Uh, are you there? Oh, there he is. Okay, Dr. Waller. So uh, you've been listening to a lot of different folks who have found community or sought community in a bunch of different ways. I wonder if you could help us as we're thinking, uh, you know, towards 
the, as we look into the future beyond this pandemic, the, the ways people have been connected before, the ways they're finding connection now, what is it people are, are, are really looking for in your experience uh, in a, in a, as a faith leader? Well, at the end of the day, you know, our, our scriptures teach when God created uh, Eden, put Adam down there, and he had everything he needed and said, you know what, it's not good that he's by himself. And that was about community. God created us to be in community. Uh, and so uh, we, we need to be in touch. People are looking for connection. And so right now, while the safe thing is to have, I, I don't like the term social distance, uh, it's physical distance. And we can have social connectedness while we observe physical distance. Mm -hmm. And so making use of Zoom, making use of Facebook Live, making use of something that uh, the young folk don't know about, uh, the, the telephone. Uh, <laughs> they are rediscovering I, it. I remember the phone, yeah. yes. That's right, the telephone. And, um, and, and, and also uh, wanting, you know, th there was an old preacher that used to say, 80% of can't do is don't want to. Mm. When you want to do something, you'll find a way to do it. And so if we continue to want to be in community with each other, we can make creative ways of seeing each other, creative ways of communicating. Uh, this has been a wonderful time for, for me to make reconnections. You know, sometimes life will make you so busy uh, that you're, you're doing a lot of stuff, but not the stuff that matters. And needing to sit down has, has caused me to think about who really matters, uh, what really matters, and giving my creative juices to figuring out how to connect with that which matters. And I want to ask Caitlin uh, Abdulrahman, uh, who is active in the Kansas City Muslim community, uh, really the, the same question. You, you mentioned when we spoke to you earlier in this hour uh, how much you wanted to get back to the mosque. Um, but, but why? What is it that is so important about connecting with other people? So the whole basis of our religion is really community focused and, and that connection, there's like a saying or a hadith um, in Islam, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, or peace be upon him, said the faithful and their love for one another and in their having mercy for one another and in their kindness toward one another are like one body. When a member of it ails, all parts of the body call on one another through sleeplessness and fever. And that just highlights the fact that like we intrinsically need to be together and that's established in our religion. So we pray together. All of our five daily prayers are better prayed in Jama'ah or in a group. So it's just, it's just important for us. Yeah, let's get one caller in here. We have Doug from Washington, D.C. Doug, we don't have much time, but welcome to America Amplified. Thank you very much for talking about this topic. Uh, I have sought out communities in ways that I didn't think about before, primarily non-in-person. So TikTok and Zoom and Instagram have provided great resources for me, uh, especially connecting with other queer artists and digital drag performances that I would not have an opportunity to meet if I was just doing it face-to-face. Uh, -face, and I found that as a great resource. Thank you so much for that call. 
And and boy, boy, I, w- I want to turn to you for the final word. As you look to the future, uh, as an as a working artist, as a person who tries to process what's going on in society through your art in a way that enlightens it, uh, what what are you thinking now uh, here as we we look to a life after COVID nineteen? Oh, just a small existential question. Yeah, in in thirty um, seconds. <laughs> um, I think that this this proves the point of, of supporting the arts and supporting that sort of like healthy form of escapism that kind of allows us the freedom to process the everything that is going on currently. And I think that, that drag and art is a way in which we collectively um, associate that. And I think that as we begin to come back together after um, kind of the, the quarantine is over and still practicing um, physical distancing, um, is, is ways in which we can support each other and really rebuild that community stronger than it was before and use the kind of reflective thing that we've had for the last few months to, to encourage greater ways of bonding with each other and coming and, together. And that's where we'll have to leave it. Boy, boy, as a Kansas City artist, we also were joined by uh, Dr. Alan Waller and uh, Caitlin Abdelrahman. Thanks to all of you for being with us. And that is all the time we have. Thanks for joining us this hour and indeed for these past six weeks for America Amplified, Life, Community, and COVID-19. Listen back to this episode and all of our shows at americaamplified.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's show was produced by Suzanne Hogan and Lindsay Lazarski. Our technical director is Steven Steigman. Our coordinating producer and director is Andrea Tudhope. Kathy Liu is the digital editor. Chris Pruitt is our IT director. Danny Alexander and Matthew Long Middleton screened listener phone calls. Our executive producer is John Hawes. Special thanks to WABE in Atlanta and KCUR in Kansas City for working together to bring these voices from across the country to your public radio station. We would also like to thank Ethan Lindsay at KQED and John Musoni at WHYY for their early commitment to this project. Thanks also to the team at America Amplified, a community engagement initiative supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And the conversation doesn't end here. Find us on Twitter at Amplified 2020. From WHYY in Philadelphia, I'm Mike and Scott. And I'm Brian Ellison from KCUR in Kansas City. This is America Amplified. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.